Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. This podcast is brought to you by Audible. For you, the listeners of the Do Something Beautiful podcast, with a free 30-day trial of Audible, you can get my new book, The Other Side of Beauty, read to you by yours truly for free. All you got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash Darrow. Audible is Amazon's audio bookstore, and it has over 180,000 audiobooks to choose from. And so if you're like me and you like to listen to books while you travel, exercise, or cook, this is perfect for you. To get my audiobook for free, all you got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash Darrow. That's audibletrial.com slash Darrow, and you're in. The Do Something Beautiful podcast is also brought to you by Haiti 180. If you want to do something beautiful in the world, but find yourself busy, possibly overwhelmed with life, family, or work, but you still want to donate money for a good cause, you can still do something beautiful by becoming a Team 180 member. Haiti 180 provides an orphanage for 40 children, two elderly homes, a school for over 200 students, and a medical clinic in a small village in the hills of Haiti. Now, many of the listeners of this podcast have generously donated over $26,000 to build the maternity wing of the new hospital. And for as little as $15 a month, you can sponsor an orphan. That's 50 cents a day, people, 50 cents a day to help a little boy or a little girl have a good and just life. I've been there. I have seen their good works and I continue to give them my time, talent, and treasure. And I'm asking you to do the same. Go to Haiti180.com and do something beautiful with me. That's Haiti180.com. Hey friends, welcome back to season seven of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I always like a sassy gal who's got a sassy website. And uh, Sister Helena Burns is definitely that type of gal. Her website, her blog, is called Hell Burns. It's a Catholic nun. And her website literally has flames all over it, which I think obviously plays off of her name. True. But still, it's funny. Hellburns.blogspot.com. It's just funny to me. So Sister Helena Burns is a Catholic nun. She belongs to the Daughters of St. Paul, which is an international congregation of religious women dedicated to spreading God's word through media. So she's quite media savvy. Sister Helena and I talk a lot about life, family, theology of the body, which is a huge passion of hers. And I really enjoyed hearing about how she got involved in that. It's not what you think. She kind of reminds me a little bit of Mother Teresa, how Mother Teresa had that call within the call, right? So God was doing something within Sister Helena's life after she became a Catholic nun, after she became a Catholic sister. And then in there, even drew her into deeper conversion, which I love because I think sometimes we think that once you enter into, you know, your vocation, religious life or married life, like hopefully you have everything kind of worked out. But anybody who's in those vocations already know that that's not the case, but it just can feel that way. And here you have this Catholic sister who's already a Catholic sister, who is praying every day and doing all of the things in her life. And you see that things are still not connecting for her in a way that God desires for her. And he brings her deeper into his love through the theology of the body. And we talk about that story. This is a little bit different how we're going to enter into this podcast. And if you are a avid listener of the Do Something Beautiful podcast, you'll notice it to be different. Because when I, when I, opened up the the phone call between us and we began, you know, re- recording the inter- the the podcast interview, so I'm trying to say. I usually will stop and tell my guest after I chat with him for a few minutes, okay, I'm going to give a few seconds. All right, we'll start back up and then I kind of bring them into the podcast. We just kind of right off the bat, Sister Helena and I just started chatting about so many great things that I've decided to include our chit chat before we actually began the interview because what she had to say and all of her amazing insights, I think are so valuable that it's worth hearing me on my like little quick rants of motherhood and life. Hopefully you find them amusing. And if not, then just kind of fast forward until you hear her 
but she spoke so well about so many different things in the beginning. I just didn't want to cut it off. And I wanted, I just thought you would want to hear that. So that's kind of the reason why I kind of allowed that type of interview style to kind of unfold for us today. So if you don't know Sister Helena Burns, you definitely want to follow her. I'll have all of that information in the show notes. She's just a fantastic witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love her so much. She's so eloquent and she's so sincere and honest and she knows the out of the body inside and out. I love it. So here we go. Without further ado, here is Sister Helena Burns. I am. I have four. Oh my gosh. Wow. I see you every so often on Instagram and doing some stuff live on Instagram. And yeah, oh, that's great. yeah. Oh. Yeah, it is. Um, it's wild. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Don't get me wrong, but it's just ridiculous. It's I just know, right? You have to let go. Control. Like um, Jen Fulweiler, right? You just have to let go. And it's a big mess, a big, beautiful mess. <laughs> it's all it is, is a mess. And some days are beautiful and some days it's not. Some days it's just, it's a mess. It's just, it's all a mess. I mean, I understand that God sees the beauty in the mess, but (laughs) God doesn't always give us memos, you know? So I'm Uh, constantly, I mean, just before this conversation, like before I was getting on here, I was, my son, Ambrose, who's three, climbed on top of the counter. That happens all the time. And then he gets the sprayer from the kitchen sink, sprays the entire kitchen floor with water. It's now filled our hardwood floors. And then he takes the Dawn soap and spits it all over the floor. And then he's sliding back and forth. There's soapy footprints everywhere. My daughter, Agnes, who is five, is like, Mom, there's something inside and you're not going to be happy. And so I walk in and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I was so frustrated. Ricky's like, I'll just take care of it. So Ricky, my husband, is cleaning it up. I'm back out on the front porch nursing Victory, who is just three months old, going back in to get ready for the podcast. And I go upstairs really quick to use the restroom. And I look into the bathroom and there's this bowl that the kids use for their oatmeal inside my toilet. And I'm just... I'm And that... Listen, from what I'm telling you, that was just that, that's just been the past 45 minutes. Oh, that's a hoot. That's really a hoot. I know. But see, it's easy to trust in God when you don't have that, right? Mm -hmm. But anyway. Oh, it is. It is. And and, and I just want to kick my own butt (laughs) for my past life when I was single, no kids of like, oh, God, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. And do you love me? And I just want you to be here with me. And I'm like, what? Like, why are you complaining? Like, there's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Like, what is like, what's wrong with you, Leah? Pull it together. You don't even know how much time you have because now I'm like, wow, <laughs> there's no time. And I, I know God loves me because for me to engage in this life, I have to be lifted and carried by his love to be right. able to even accomplish the smallest task I today. Know. You know, I know, I know. Yeah, I know. I wasn't just, you know, it's. I'm not upset at single people when I hear that. I mean, I empathize with what they're saying, but I, I'm yeah, more yeah. like just want to kick my own it's, butt it's and the be grass like, "Grass is greener, right?" They're so sad that they're not married yet and have kids yet. I know. And then when we're married, then we like, you know, we're never happy with where we are in our life, you know? Like, right? Or, or I guess maybe for me, it was especially when I look back on my single life, and I see, I see it reek its ugly head even as being married. But I mean. It was for me like just stop thinking of yourself so much. Uh, uh, yeah. Like just surrender to the moment, surrender to the to the state of life, surrender to the journey, surrender to the failings. Just can you just just stop worrying about you and just live? Because well, modern modern life is so about like we're in charge, we're in control of every little detail of our lives and we're training our, we've been training our kids to do that. Like from the moment they're born, it's like, oh, we have to have a play date and you have to learn Mandarin and you have to have two <laughs> musical instruments and two sports. And we got to get, start padding that resume right now, kid. And this poor little thing just wants to go play in the mud or, you know, put the bowl in the, the oatmeal bowl in the toilet. Like that's all they really want to do. That's all they really want to do. And so they learn to be control freaks by the time they're seven or eight years old. They're control freaks, right? Mm-hmm. And they we're are. supposed to be like, Jesus, I trust in you. How do you do that when you're a control freak? No, know? it's 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 more of like, so, Jesus, I trust in my planner. 
Is it? <laughs> I trust you. I trust Jesus. I trust in you. Google Calendar. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We've kind of yeah. lost a little bit of our connection there to our Creator. Oh, oh, oh! I thought you meant our connection. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. And seriously, without marriage and family, even just marriage, but kids certainly, without that, like we could go through life thinking we're super holy and virtuous, but we're just, you know, taking care of ourselves or just doing what we plan and then asking God to bless it, you know, mm. with, with very little commotion and change. And so anyway, that's why, it's, that's why marriage gets you holy. It sure does. I mean, I was And just, why kids save us. They save us, right? Children uh, save their parents. They save us. Well, I mean, not that I, I have a lot of spiritual children. That's true. The problem is that when you're being saved, it doesn't feel like you're being saved. <laughs> I know, I know. It feels like you're drowning. I mean, <laughs> I was just telling a friend of mine, Bree, earlier today who came over for a visit, shout out to her, that <laughs> I have given birth to my enemy army. Like, <laughs> I have literally brought into the world a group of humans who have band together to destroy me. That is hysterical. That is what's going oh on. God. And then they smile up at you with their big eyes and say, Mommy, I love you. And, and it, it all is worth it, right? It's most times. Yes. Most yes. Times? Yes. I mean, if we're being honest, yes, most times, but I mean, yeah. that's it. when I, when I think about that, I'm sitting here like drowning in the chaos. I'm like, I've done this to myself. I created people who band together, who are out to destroy my, my plan for sanity. my life and my sanity. Yeah. And you know, it's just, it's just, it's just yeah, it's, you, like at some point you just have to surrender and be like, okay. And it, it's not always great. It's not always the best day ever, but you're right. They, children will, will save you. They'll make you holy if you let them. And it's just the problem is like even our own salvation with Christ, sometimes it doesn't feel good to be saved. Sometimes it doesn't right. feel good to accept Christ into your life and to, and to say, okay, Lord, I give you permission to change me. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's like the purification the church is going through right now. This is not fun. This hurts. This is hurting everybody. And it's bringing up old wounds too for people, mm. you know, who had any, say, say you were sexually abused, not by a priest, but you know, this, this is trigger. All this stuff is trigger, trigger, trigger. You know, we, it's about, like you said, submitting, I think to the process that to believe that God is bringing good out of the midst of our pain and our suffering and everything. Just like, you know, you go to the doctor for physical health, you go to the hospital and, you know, you might wake up after the anesthesia and you're in incredible pain from this, the cutting and the, you know, sutures or whatever. So yeah, there's no, we're just looking for an easy life. You know, we're all looking for an easy life or an easy way out. And that's why I love what St. John Vianney said. I just shared this with a bunch of student leaders at a Catholic college the other day. I didn't say who it was because actually some of these leaders aren't Catholic either in, in at this Catholic college. So I said, there was a saint and he said, they asked him what his secret was. And this is what he said so simply, I am not afraid of trouble, mm. period. You know, like in all of us, like, and I think as Americans too, we have this crazy idea that we have to be happy all the time, smiling and having fun. Well, Even, and that, you know, that, and, and I think that's because one big reason is that that's been the mantra of our country is comfort. Right. The we have of happiness, right? The pursuit of happiness, the, it, which is really just, which has been kind of distorted to this pursuit of comfort. And if it's uncomfortable, yeah. then it won't make you happy. Whereas at least the Christian knows that sometimes the greatest happiness comes from the greatest discomfort. I mean, we know that when we look at the crucifix, we know that when we read the passion, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we've like, you're using the word comfort, but I've really been been praying about this and I haven't finished my study of this and I want to get to a point where I can really speak to it better, but we equate happiness with pleasure and that's really not what it is. And happiness also is not joy. What God wants to give us is joy, you know, an unshakable joy in the midst of the cross. That's the word Jesus used joy. We know it's a fruit of the Holy spirit, whereas happiness is very ephemeral. It comes and goes. It's a feeling. And we, we're not really in control of it. We can't create it. So we can't get up in the morning and say, I'm going to feel happy all day. 
You know, we can't because something sad might happen. We might be in the midst of chaos and, and feeling very out of our comfort zone and a little lost or whatever. And, and it's, it's good to have a normal range of human emotion. Yeah. Right. Like, but we, we've denied all other emotion for happiness, meaning pleasure. So even, you know, the Baltimore Catechism, what is our, our purpose in life? It is to know, love and serve God, be happy with him here and hereafter. But again, that, that, that probably means more like joy. You know, it's not this sort of just easy, cheap grace happiness. You know? And, and that, that, that makes sense of more, you know, a lot of people who accept and, and put it on t-shirts and mugs of choose joy. And that yeah. resonates rather than choose happy. Right, like, right. what? I mean, yeah, I <laughs> be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. If, so, if someone said choose happy or be happy, I'd be like, shut up, man. <laughs> life, life, life's hard. <laughs> I know. Have, I know. You, have, have right. you met my son, Ambrose? Like, <laughs> I wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to be happy right now because my yeah. son just totally destroyed my <laughs> kitchen floor and puts my bowls into toilets. I mean, yeah. but if you t- so say- I, I, I talk to like parents a lot about parenting the media. That's one of my fields is media literacy. And, and I'm not putting down parents, but because I think they've been sort of duped by the culture. And so when I say to them, what is your number one job as a parent? They cannot get to getting my child to heaven. They do not say, these are Catholic parents, right? They cannot get to that point. And I wait and I wait and I wait. And the first thing that says, it's usually like to make my child happy, for my child to be happy on this earth. When, you know, we hear that thing, like, as long as you're happy, my parents, what what did your parents think of your vocation or your job or your spouse? Oh, they just wanted me to be happy. Like whatever, like whatever makes me happy. That's what my parents want. Or they'll say something like, I'm keeping my child safe or like a good life, a good education. Make sure my child can take care of themselves to be successful in life. And I'm like, anything else? Any? And here's a nun standing there going, anything else? Right. (laughs) Right. Do you see my habit? Does it reflect something (laughs) higher? And then they'll say, oh, 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 I have to teach them how to pray. And um, and then they start guessing, right? Uh, To go to church? With the question mark at the end, like, is, is that it? Like, you're at the price is right. I, I, okay, I don't know. But, but I have to say, I was at a homeschool conference recently in Virginia, and I asked the same question, and kaboom. And I'm telling you, these folks have the same problems everybody else does. They are struggling with addictions and having let their kids get addicted to their media devices. They're struggling with all the same stuff because they come and they talk to me privately and whatever. So... But the first thing that came out of all those parents' mouths, like just shouting it out, was like, get my kid to heaven. And I was like, oh, like it's not even in their control either, right? They have to try to foster a relationship with God in their child, which means prayer and learning about their faith and yes, going to church and leading a sacramental life. But I thought to myself, the one advantage these parents have is the long view. They have their priorities right. They get it. They get what, what the ultimate good of their child is. So they have an advantage, even though they're facing all the same problems everyone else is, you know, every other parent is, I thought. And they said it with a big smile. They didn't say it like with fear and trembling and worried that, oh, you know, I have to get my kid to heaven. It was kind of like, oh, we have this bigger picture. We're living in a bigger picture. We have a bigger picture in mind here, you know? And I was like, I was like, I was happy to hear that, you know, this, this, you know, keeping the eyes on the prize. And what is this all for anyway? It's a hard thing to do. It's hard for everybody, even for religious and priests. And our whole life is like a quote unquote supernatural life, you know, where it makes no sense to to put this veil on my head and for priests to, you know, forego marriage and go up to the altar every day. And, you know, so, so it's so hard for us to keep our eyes focused. There's so many distractions today, right? There's a million. Um, yeah. I mean, a million. I mean, when we used to live off the land, farmers were very in touch with like, oh, we need rain. <laughs> you know, like rain <laughs> comes from God. God created creation. We're we're at the mercy of the elements here. Let's let's pray for rain, you know? And they still do. Sometimes when there is um a drought, you know, you'll see rabbi the rabbi gets together with the imam and the, the minister and the priest and they walk around the farms praying to God for rain to this day, right? Merry Christmas, my friends. Okay, I know it's a, it's a little early to say Merry Christmas, but it's never too early to think about what you're going to get all of those beautiful people in your life for Christmas. What are you going to get them? It's going to be here before you know it. 
but this is something that we are doing right now to help you out with that. This episode is sponsored by Catholic Relief Services Ethical Trade, and they have come out with an Ethical Trade Holiday Gift Guide. You can go to this one spot to get everything on your list for anybody on your list. It is, they're all unique. They're definitely going to be different than what everyone else is going to get them. It's a great, great idea. This is so wonderful. You can put Christmas back into your shopping with ethically produced gifts that really do uplift an entire world of people. And every single partner on this list has been vetted for fair wages, safer working conditions, and environmentally sustainable practices. And what's even better is that with every purchase, a donation goes back to Catholic Relief Services. So twice the impact. So fantastic. So make sure you go and check them out, ethicaltrade.crs.org. I will have the link in my podcast notes. Make sure you check them out, ethicaltrade.crs.org. They have something for everybody. Things for the kitchen, for fashion, comfort, like candles and soaps and lotions. Things for the home, things for entertaining, coffee, chocolate, you name it. There's so much stuff. I will say, for the record, you better go check out the Lavender Honeysuckle Body Butter. It is so great. It makes you smell like a queen. I love that. And I also personally love the Alabaster Swirl Candle. I own both of those. Oh, it's so great. They're just wonderful. They're like the Maya Treat Yourself gifts that I, I love to give other people and myself once in a while. So go ahead, check it out. It is really a wonderful thing. This holiday season, you can get all of your stuff for all of the people in your life right there by visiting the Ethical Trade Holiday Gift Guide by Catholic Relief Services. Again, that is Ethical Trade org. It's a beautiful so, dependency, a good, yeah. healthy dependency that we need to have with God. And it's yeah. been replaced with a variety of things, comfort, technology, yeah. and some of it good, but some of it just kind of, we can easily forget that connection. You had yeah. mentioned, you know, a lot about distractions just now. And the veil on your head. Can I, can I just ask you to kind of explain? Let's just, <laughs> I love how much we just jump into like talking, right? like, like, like we've been this best friends talk. for this is how 15 women years. Talk. This is I girl talk. This is. Right? But let's, let, let's go back because I want to hear this story because I have not heard it completely, to be honest with you. So I want to hear it and I want my listeners to hear it. How did you get that veil on your head? I mean, like, <laughs> what was that process of before you and then now you? <laughs> yeah. And all that in I, between. I worked hard for this veil. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I deserve it. No. So I never intended to be a nun. All my life, I was into the environment and animals and conservation. Everybody knew. Did you save Helena. the whales? Oh, I was totally into save the whales and save the seals. So I, I had t-shirts. I belonged to Greenpeace, the Audubon Society. I was going to be an ornithologist. So I decided I was going to focus on birds, especially birds of prey. What? Can you? So that's the study of birds? Yes. Ornithology. Mm -hmm. ornithology. Cornell was my dream school because they have this beautiful bird sanctuary there and a great ornithology program. That would be, honest to God, hell for me. <laughs> oh, no. I have a fear of birds. <laughs> oh, no, no. Yeah. I do. I, I have. I, 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 oh, it's the worst. I came in. I came in. I came and watched that. I, yeah, I do. I have an absolute fear of birds. I get, oh, so, wow. I get massive anxiety when oh, I'm around wow. like a peacock wow. at the zoo. Like why, oh, do, wow. why do they allow peacocks to like walk around freely at, 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 at the zoo? Because they're like, so beautiful. Put that stupid thing behind a bar. Like, let's just look at it from a distance, but they let them walk freely. Hey, what's going on? Peacock, peacock. They're not friendly. They're just the worst no, in my opinion. It would be horrible. Yeah. So your that past was life. my life. And everybody knew that. And actually, when I became a nun, my, my aunt said to me, you went from saving seals to saving souls. Oh, that's kind of cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So, so, so yeah. your plan was to study birds and be a Greenpeace adventurer. All of that stuff. Okay. All I was right. into all of that. Yeah. So I'm and, assuming with um, that, you I had a pretty I didn't really pro... believe in God. Okay. So you, oh, you didn't believe in God. No, I was, I was raised Catholic. Um, I'm from Boston and I was dragged to mass every Sunday. I went to public schools, had to go to CCD, religious ed, like on Tuesday afternoons, hated it, hated going to church, hated CCD, didn't believe in God. I had a lot of questions. I was always a deep thinker, always very philosophical and people couldn't answer my questions, even in first grade about God and you know, God's plan for this world, because it really didn't make sense. I'll just give you a quick example. So I remember as a small child asking questions about God, 
and the adults get really nervous because they don't know what to tell you. So they're like, you're going to learn about that in CCD, CCD, CCD. Oh, good. So I was so excited to go to CCD and learn about this God person that everybody was scared to talk to you about because they didn't know what to say. I go to CCD and you know, you have these volunteer moms and dads teaching and they don't know much and how to say it either. So I get there and they, my teacher said, let's draw pictures of things that we're grateful to God for, like our, our home, our food, our parents. And I remember thinking, I didn't ask to be born. Why am I, why do I have to be grateful to God? I mean, the least he could do is provide some basic needs for me. <laughs> so like, I, I was a very cynical little child from the get go. You have to understand. And I remember thinking, I'm going to hate this. And here I was in first grade, we were learning subtraction and addition. We were, we were serious. We were learning how to read. And this like mamby-pamby pre-kindergarten baby stuff we were doing in first grade CCD, first grade religious ed was like nonsense. And then we stopped halfway through for saltines and grape juice. I will never forget my what? first day of CCD. And I was like, we don't do that in regular school, in real school. Like this is, this is crazy. And I knew I was going to hate it. And I remember thinking, okay, so, so you're telling me that God loves me because he gave me food and parents and a home. What about the starving children? I know about those starving children. We did UNICEF, you know, the United Nations stuff. We collected rice bowl and we knew about the starving kids on the other side of the planet. And I'm like, so God doesn't love them because he didn't provide for them. Like nothing made sense. I'm like, this is ridiculous. This whole thing makes absolutely no sense. So so basically, I just, in my mind, decided that I was kind of done with God and faith and religion. And you know, it's just like, I couldn't wait to like grow up and leave the church, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, but as a teenager, I was really searching. And so around age 15, I, I started to really experience this existential depression, not chemical depression, not like, oh, I'm being bullied at school. I wasn't. I had friends. I had, again, I had a great life. I had possibilities. I could plan my future. We had enough money, everything going for me, everything going for me. But I didn't know why I was alive. So you can't, I can't, I'm somebody that cannot go on without a purpose. Like things have to make sense to me. That's why I've always loved philosophy. And I've, you know, did my undergrad in philosophy because you can make things make sense. You can figure out if something's true or not just by reason alone, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I remember I had kind of a deist view of God, like our, a lot of our founding fathers that I didn't believe in the Trinity or Jesus or anything like that, but I did believe in a creator because that made sense. Where did all this stuff come from? And it has a design, right? So there has to be a designer. It has to be an engineer. Like, obviously there's got to be a supreme mind or being or something. Um, didn't know what to call it. Didn't know what it was. Didn't even know if it like cared about me. So basically I never prayed because I thought prayer was cheesy. It was like ridiculous. You don't get what you want just because you pray for it. That's so silly. So I remember though at 15 being so depressed and really, really just like sleep was my drug of choice. So I would come home from school. I would go to sleep. Like after I just, I didn't want to have to bear the pain of living Mm. with no purpose. And I knew I could create my own purpose, but, and then I'm just going to die someday, maybe even younger than I planned on. You know, nobody can say, well, I'm going to live to be 85. You know, you can get hit by that proverbial bus, right? So so I go to sleep, I get up for supper and go back to sleep. I do my homework on the bus and that was my life. And my mother was getting really worried because she was reading up about teen suicide and stuff. And I mean, I really did feel suicidal. I really like there would have been an easy way to do it. I probably would have done it. And I would have left a note because this wasn't some big drama thing. Look at me, look at me. You know, I just wanted to check out. I didn't want to be anymore. Right. Yeah. And I'll tell this is this a little note of humor in all of this. So I'm Irish, right? I think you're Irish too, right, Leah? I think there's something in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I actually went through our medicine cabinet to see if we, we had like sleeping pills or something. And I remember growing up, everything was offered up. So we didn't, we didn't take like aspirin for headaches. It was just like, you have a headache, offer it up, offer it up. I remember my parents always like, the more you suffer, the holier you are when you're Irish and Irish Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember going through several times our medicine cabinet. There was, there was nothing in there to speak of. Like we had some old antibiotics or something. I don't know. Some, you have like Pepto. You know, Vaseline. <laughs> I don't know. We didn't really have much. So, and I wasn't going to do anything painful, you know? So, so anyway, so one night I was in a lot of pain, spiritual pain. And I just thought maybe this God, this creator God, this force for me, God was a force, a creating force who, as the deists believe, created the world and stepped back. 
sometimes called the watchmaker God. He wound up the world and then stepped back and we're on our own. He's not participating, not has nothing to do with it. You know, he doesn't care. He's just, he's, a, he's an impersonal force. But then I thought, well, maybe this, this creator force could hear prayers. Maybe he did care a little bit. Maybe he could do something. Maybe with his power could help me somehow. So I remember kneeling down by my bedside, 15 years old and saying, oh God, if you can hear me, I need help because I don't want to live anymore. I don't know why I'm alive and I can't go on with no meaning in life, no meaning and no purpose. Amen. And I went to bed and again, having like this, I was living in darkness. It was like almost perhaps uh, the darkness of some atheists feel too. Like there's this void. You're alone in the universe. Nobody can hear your thoughts. You can't raise your thoughts to anyone. You can't ask somebody to guide you. You know, I woke up the next morning with this incredible sense of peace. I could feel God's presence. I knew that he loved me and he was real. I still didn't know if he was the Trinity or Jesus or anything. It was just God, maybe God the Father. And I remember knowing that heaven was real, that death wasn't the end, that it was more like God was so excited for me to eventually reach heaven and be with him than I was, than I was, right? So later I learned that it's called infused knowledge when, when God gives you that grace to just know something without having read about it or learned it. It just mm. kind of infused knowledge. And so I really think that desperation is underrated. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not saying that God waits for you to grovel and he wants you to get on your knees and get to the end of your rope. But I think he was showing me something about prayer that, you know, because I disdained prayer. So he was showing me that he hears prayer and he answers prayer, but he wants us to be all in. Like he wants us to come to him with our whole heart. And if you have questions for God or you're, you know, you are at the end of your rope, you know, throw yourself on his mercy. Like just say, hey, God, I'm done, you know, or hey, Lord, I really need your help. I really need an answer to this question. Not kind of like, hedging our bets, which is kind of what we do today, where we're so uncertain that we, we won't go all into anything, right? Not even a marriage. It's kind of like, well, if this doesn't work out, you know, or we live in very uncertain times. So young people, millennials in, you know, Gen Z, they know if I go to a big corporation, they're not going to keep me on. They're just going to fire me when I start climbing up the ladder and start making too much money. They're not going to be loyal to me, even if I'm loyal to them. So I think there's reasons why people feel you know, in relativistic times that they can't trust anything. They can't put their whole self anywhere. And so that's what I think God was teaching me that with him, at least with God, we can do that. And we have to do that because like it says in Jeremiah, when you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. So, and this happened, you said when you were 15, you started experiencing that God was real. Yes. And I knew that it didn't matter exactly what I did with my life. I didn't have to be super successful, make a lot of money, make a name for myself. What was more important is that God loved me no matter what. It was this relationship. That's what mattered in my life is that God is real. I can have a relationship with him. And no matter what happens in my life, there's something good at the end of it. Even if I have the worst life and I wind up to be one of those poor homeless people myself or something, it doesn't matter. God is there at the end waiting for me. Um, and heaven is real. You know? So did that also include Catholicism for you? Or is that still not separate? Right away. Not right away. This, again, was just like, I think it was probably God the Father or just an understanding of God in general. And I remember thinking immediately afterwards, well, what about this Jesus person? Like, is he mm. God? Can three billion people be wrong or whatever? <laughs> you know, like, so I remember I was going to start searching. So most of my friends were not Catholic. They were Protestant or Jewish in my town. And I thought, well, I'm going to just start investigating. And I was going to start, I don't know why, I was going to start with the Protestant churches. And I thought, no, let me start with Catholicism because I'm here, right? And I started to think, well, what is different about Catholicism from my friends, my Protestant friends, my other Christian friends? And I remember so clearly that only the Catholics claim he's in the box. Only the Catholics are saying he's in that little box up there, the tabernacle. My Protestant friends didn't have tabernacles. It wasn't like all the Christians are saying, no, he's in our box. No, he's in our box. We have him in our box. It was only the Catholics, which I thought was utterly ridiculous, that God became bread and all this nonsense, right? But I thought, if that's true, though, if that's true, then this is his church. If that is true. So I needed to establish whether or not Jesus was present in the Eucharist or not. And I'm like, well, how am I going to figure that out? So if I talk to Catholics, they'll say yes. 
talk to non-Catholics, they'll say no. If I read Catholic books, it will say yes. Then I thought, you know what? If God spoke to me, if he communicated to me once, he can do it again. Mm. So I made it, and I knew this was momentous because I was fighting the church on all, all its teachings. Like the only thing I got right was abortion. I knew that was the taking of a life. I was been pro-life since I was 10 years old, but I believed in contraception. I believed in sex before marriage. I believed that, you know, you can have marriage and, and just block having children. I believed in women priesthood, like all kinds of stuff. Like I got everything else wrong except abortion. I knew that was taking of a life. So I planned it very momentously. I'm like, I'm going to go to my church and I'm going to ask him. And this is what I'm going to do. So I went to the, I, I planned a day. Church was open. I went to the back of the church, which is me and Jesus there. And I didn't know it was Jesus there yet. And I said to him, Lord, are you there? Because if you are, I will accept the Catholic church, lock, stock and barrel. Those are my very words. We're very British, you know, in Boston. Um, (laughs) I will accept your Catholic church, lock, stock and barrel. And I will stop fighting the teachings and rather strive to understand them. So Lord, are you there? And he said, internally, I heard a voice that said, yes, I am here. And he was nodding, but I didn't see his head. I don't know how that works, but that's what happened. He was nodding emphatically saying, yes, I am here. And I said, well, then that's it, Lord. I believe you are in the Eucharist and I accept your Catholic church and I will strive to understand her teachings. So I found out later, St. Anselm calls that faith seeking understanding. You don't say, I will believe when I fully understand because you never will. You're never going to fully understand God and the Trinity and all these mysteries of the faith, right? But you can, you can go very far though using reason and faith to understand why, what this beautiful plan, this beautiful cohesive plan is. But here's the thing. It took me decades, literally decades to understand the Catholic faith at all, like to even begin to understand the Catholic faith. And you know what did it, Leah Darrow? Yeah. Theology of the body. It wasn't until theology of the body that everything started to make sense. That's, that's what did it for faith. you. That was the hinge that kind of brought it together. The entire Catholic faith. See, before it used to be like, okay, I know this is true. And that's true because that's what the Catholic church teaches. It's a dogma. It's a doctrine. It's in the catechism of the Catholic church. I have no idea why that's true, but I believe it's true because this is Jesus's church because he lives in the Eucharist. And here I am a daughter of St. Paul. I, I'm jumping over the big, big, big flash forward, <laughs> jumping over the nun thing. But here I am, a daughter of St. Paul, and we evangelize through media. We teach the faith through the media. But when people would come into our bookstores and ask me questions about the faith, I couldn't really answer them because the more I studied theology, the more I studied the faith and scripture and everything, the less sense it made to me. The reasonings, the rationale that I was being given behind the truths of the faith made less sense than the truth itself. Mm. And so I would just hand people books and go, oh, here you go. It's all in here. Just read the book. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. God bless you. Bye-bye. No understanding, no understanding. Remember, very inquisitive, cynical child, right? From first grade on, looking for answers, looking for answers, looking for answers. And then theology of the body falls in my lap in 2006 and the lights go on. The What do they call those big lights at the football stadiums? Klieg? Klieg lights or whatever? I have, I have no clue. We'll just call them big old lights. Halogen, whatever. You know. Wow. And everything fell in place. Now, you also need to understand that I come from a radical feminist background. So I had subscribed totally to, to radical feminism. I was really, really close to being a man hater, but I couldn't get there because I don't believe in hate. And I'm like, Christians are supposed to love. So if I'm a Christian woman, like how can I be a hater? I can't be a hater, but I had a resentment for men. This is not why I became a nun, but there was, there was a resentment, you know, how radical feminists tend to be like against men, you know, men right. are the enemy and all of that. I believe the body had nothing to say. The body, I resented having a female body as well. Mm. So, you know, women, radical feminists resent that women have to get pregnant and women have to give birth and breastfeed and all of that. It's seen as um, a defect, like we were born defective or something, or it's like this huge burden. It's not a privilege. It's just a huge burden. And men, why are men free? Men get to just have sex and no pain and no, you know, pain and peril of childbirth. And why are, you know, it's, it's not fair. So I have to adjust my body through pills and diaphragms and IUDs to make my, my body like a man's body in, you know, not the one who gives birth, have sex and not never get pregnant. 
you know, that kind of a thing. So I, I accepted all of that and kind of resented. I didn't really embrace being a woman. It wasn't like today. And sadly, you know, our young people, if, if they're fighting, if a young woman's fighting her being a woman, her womanhood, she might think she has to transition to become a man. I mean, right. You know, and do something irreparable. What do you think was the biggest hit detriment of radical feminism that you subscribe to upon your yourself, your thinking, your your acceptance of well, yourself? Yeah. So, well, that's exactly it. You reject a huge part of who you are. Uh, and you think that there's, you're really turning against yourself. And there's no happiness in that because the ancients, the philosophers say that happiness is living in accord with your nature and fulfilling your purpose. Not like a thing fulfills its purpose. You're a human being. But if you're fighting who you are and you don't like yourself, maybe you don't even like your personality. It's like, no, no, that's you. You know, yes, we can all do better. Yes, we can always become our best selves and better people. But to not like yourself in your most fundamental parts of your being, your body and your spirit, like you're at war with yourself and there's no way you can. And also if, um, if you're a Catholic woman and you think the church is oppressing you, how can you love your faith? How can you embrace? You can't. The answer is you can't. Something's going to give. Right. So theology of the body, really, John Paul II gave me permission to be a woman. He said, no, women are not identical to men. And that's a good thing. And it's a good thing to be a woman. It's something to be celebrated. You can't celebrate diversity if there's no diversity, right? And, you know, he, he wrote about the feminine genius a lot. And all the things that I were told were bad. By whom? By radical feminists, by men, and by the culture. Like, oh, women are so irrational, and women are weak, and their their ways of thinking, their ways of problem solving are inferior. Their bodies are inferior. Women are, you know, meant to be abused and taken for granted and put down and kept down and oppressed, you know, all of that stuff. I was like, well, I don't want that. I can be like a man. And so when women, when radical feminist says, I can be as good as a man, that statement, you just said you're inferior. Why the heck would you want to be as good as a man or even like a man? You're not a man. Right. You know, right. why aren't men going around saying, I can be as good as a woman? Like, you don't hear that, right? That's so, a great point. Absolutely. So it's like this horrible, horrible error. And it took it, it was a process to free myself. It didn't happen overnight, even though I had some pretty big lightning bolt experiences with theology of the body. And now I go around, you know, speaking at women's conferences, telling women how great it is to be a woman as we are. We don't need to adjust our bodies or insert things in ourselves. You know, no, we're going to say we must demand that the world accepts us as we are as women. Not I can be as good as a man, but I can be as good as a woman. And you're going to accept me as I am with my fertility, with my different ways of thinking and doing things right? Because we need women's gifts and men's gifts, both. We don't want a world that's just masculinized. You know, men's gifts are beautiful. They're wonderful, but that's not all we need. And men need women's gifts as well. I think Edith Stein said, the world doesn't need what women do, but what women are, Mm -hmm. you know? So in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says that men reflect God's transcendence and women reflect God's imminence in a particular way, two different kinds of love, the love of a father and the love of a mother. And God loves us with both those types of love. Catechism says that. So we shouldn't be hankering after male gifts. And there's, there's a lot to this. I do a whole day just on masculine, masculinity and femininity, the masculine genius and the feminine genius, and to see how beautiful it is that we're meant to put our gifts together. Okay. I love everything you're saying. I want to go back really quickly to see this timeline a little bit. Sorry, I'm so chronological here, but okay. So you have, so when did you, when you became Sister Helena Burns, when you became Mm -hmm. a sister, did you have this revelation from Theology of the Body yet? Or was that, did that happen after the fact? That was after I became a nun. Actually, quite a few years after I made my, you know, perpetual profession, took my final vows. All I knew, I was this ignorant person, right? (laughs) All I knew is that (laughs) all I knew is that God is real. The Catholic Church is his church because he lives in the Eucharist. 
And then he called me like literally four days later after meeting Jesus in the real presence in the Eucharist, four days later, he was like, be a nun. People say, (laughs) people say, oh, it's not a lightning bolt experience. Well, hold up, hold up. It's different for everyone. For some people, they've known, we have sisters that have known since they were two years old. They put the towel on the head, you know, walked around, gave them Sister Mary so-and-so. I obviously never did any of that. All of our sister stories are so completely different of how God called them. So for me, it was just very direct. It was that same, like he was starting to speak to me interiorly. And I don't mean like special revelations. I mean, ordinary stuff because Mm -hmm. God speaks to everyone just in different ways. Yeah. And Um, that absolutely makes sense. I say this in my talk too, when I talk about my moment of conversion, where I heard God say to me, I made you for more. And Um, it's because he makes us all, as John Paul II said, unique and unrepeatable. And he's going to talk to each one of his children in a very unique way that relates to them and how he made them. I firmly believe that. Yes. And I'm always telling people, stop discounting your God experiences. Oh, God doesn't talk to me. Oh, that's for special people. That's for nuns and priests and mystics and stuff. And I tell people, oh, well, God speaks to everyone. So are you so special that God doesn't speak to you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. like, it's just a matter of, for some people, he might really speak through other people to you. He re- That's how he really uses other people in your life. Maybe he speaks through nature. Maybe you're a big reader and you know he directs you to the right spiritual books and you get what you need. Scripture. Oh my gosh. Seriously, like, I don't know if you know the Babylon Bee, but it's a satirical Christian paper, like the onions. Oh, yeah. And so one of them was like, it had a picture of a man praying at a table and there's a Bible like right in front of him. It's like, man, ask God to speak to him while Bible is literally three feet away from him. (laughs) You know, that's God's word. God is like shouting and screaming and speaking to us, not just in general, very individually, you know. We can pick up the Bible anytime we want, and God is going to speak to me in that moment. He knows what's going on in my life at that moment. I don't mean Bible cracking like fortune cookies. I mean like steady Bible reading or using the readings of the day that we have at Mass. That's a wonderful way to read and pray with the church. But he's going to speak to everybody very specifically through the readings of that day. He knows what's going on in your life. Only God can do that, you know, yeah, that amen. kind of individualized love. So I I just entered the convent because he called me. That it was a struggle. I mean, I fought him on it because I didn't want that, but I eventually surrendered to it. But here I, I come into the convent, like totally ignorant, really, really ignorant about my faith, still seeking though, searching and seeking it out. And I'm going through formation and getting wonderful classes and helps and spirituality, asceticism, theology, my love philosophy as well. But not again, nothing's really making sense. Theology is not making sense to me until we go to the basics and the fundamentals of theology of the body. And I have to say, like, one of my lightning bolt moments was a priest, Father Thomas Loya. He's a Byzantine priest in Chicago, and he does a lot of theology of the body from a very unique perspective. He's an artist, and he also brings the beauty of the Eastern liturgy and Eastern theology to theology of the body. So I went to this thing called the National Forum on Theology of the Body, and he went up there and he started drawing because he's an artist. And he said, what am I drawing? And it was a bunch of angular lines. And in the end, it ended up being a male torso. And he said, the design of something shows what its purpose is and what it does best, what it's meant for. And then he starts drawing circles. He goes, now what am I drawing? Turns out to be a woman, rounder, softer, curvier. He said, the design and purpose, the design of something shows us what it's meant to be, what its purpose is, et cetera. And I remember sitting there. Like, how could I have been so blind not to see that? I believe in science. I believe in creation. I love creation. That was my first love, right? But I never saw myself as part of it. I always saw human beings as outside of creation, kind of the enemy of creation, because we're the ones polluting and destroying creation, right? And again, fighting my own body, rejecting my own body as a woman. And it was like the lights went on. So simple. I'm like, that makes sense the design of my body. I mean, that should be my first clue because I can't see my soul and I can deceive myself with abstract spiritual thinking, you know, woo, spiritual can be anything I want it to be. When I should be listening to creation, I should be listening to what the fathers of the church call the first book of revelation. We have scripture and tradition. We have the Bible and the church, but we have this third more fundamental source of revelation called creation, the created Mm -hmm. world, the way God, and, and starting with our own human bodies, 
which are theology textbooks explaining God to us and explaining us to ourselves and us to each other, especially male, female. And I remember thinking, so simple. How could I have missed that? It's like I had blinders on my eyes, right? And that was like one of the big beginnings of accepting my body as good. God created it good. And then there was so many other, yeah, there was so many other things along the way. You know, it reminds me of when you talk about just our very bodies, the creation of our bodies, the creation of woman. I always love this point in my studies of in theology of the body and just what I've read and, and what I've learned from it is that when you take that shape of woman, right, this beautiful, curvy, round shape, and you look at the purpose and you just realize like, for me, I was just like, we've been made with a womb. Mm-hmm. We've been made with a womb. I mean, like, we've literally been made for another. Yeah. And just that blew my mind when I was studying theology of the body of like, if this, I mean, a woman's biology speaks, yells, screams to theology. It just says, you haven't been made for not, you're not just made for yourself. You're literally made for another. And that points to the higher other that we're called to unite ourselves with. And I just, that just to this day, it just, I love it. I just like, yeah, wow. We, we are tabernacles. We're the second holiest place on earth. The first is the tabernacle because it holds Jesus and his body, blood, soul, and divinity in it. And the second holiest place on earth is the woman's body because she can hold another image of God. Whether or not she does actually give physical birth, every woman is a spiritual mother, every mm-hmm. man is a spiritual father, whether or not they give physical birth. But that's the sacredness of a woman. And this idea of transcendence, transcendence means going out from oneself to work on the world and make it a better place, that kind of love. So a man's sexuality is external to his body. That means something because the body already has meaning. The body is not a blank slate that we assign meaning to or ignore or mutilate or turn into something else, right? What we want it to be or what we feel it to be. So that's how men love, men love. And in the, again, in our sexuality, in men's sexuality, it's that going out, right? From the body, external women's sexuality is internal to our bodies. That means something. And that's imminent love. God right here, right now, present, God with us, drawing the world to himself to make it a better place. And that's how, what a mother's love does, right? So the baby after nine months, he knows, he or she knows her pretty well, right? We've been inside this woman for like Mm -hmm. nine months. We know her. Who are you, dad? Like dad represents the big outside scary world, right? And so often it's the dad who introduces the child to the big scary world and tells them not to be afraid and gives them confidence and picks them up when they fall down and says, no, you can do it. You're good. You're stronger than you know. You can get out there and do that, right? Whereas mom is like, oh, let me kiss the boo-boo. And that's, you know, and hugs the kid. Both imminent love and transcendent love both give the child the sense of confidence, right? And security. I can do this. I'm okay. I will be okay. I don't need to be afraid. Or if I am afraid, I still have to go ahead despite my fears, right? So when I learned that, because it's such a no-brainer how men image God, right? God has revealed himself to us as the masculine principle, father, son, right? Jesus came as a male and he still has his male masculine body intact in heaven, right? For all eternity. So that's kind of a no-brainer. But what about women? Of course, we have Mary. I mean, she's huge, right? That's huge. But she's not divine. And that's why the, the radical feminists, even the Christian and Catholic feminists, kind of throw Mary under the bus. Like, but she's not divine. We want the power. Right? We, want, <laughs> we want divinity. How come? How come? You know, it's like, no, 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 no. Men are no less divine. Just human men are no less divine just because Jesus came as a man. That's not the point. Because if God is the masculine principle, revealed himself as the masculine principle, All of creation is the feminine principle. All of humanity is feminine before God, including the men, right? So it's that masculine principle of transcendence that went out of himself and created the world, the creation, which is now his bride. All of creation and the church are God's bride. So all of us represent femininity, the feminine principle, which God's ultimate plan is to unite in the heavenly wedding himself with all of creation, with the church, with all of humanity. That's his plan. The new heavens and the new earth is this marriage covenant. The new Testament, the new covenant is a marriage covenant. Every 
Mass is a wedding liturgy of the bridegroom laying down his life for his bride, the church, right? To bring her new life. But they say the most biblical phrases, theology of the body, biblical phrases are, this is my body given up for you. That's what Jesus says. That's what the masculine principle said. And Mary says, be it done to me according to your word, accepting that, accepting the gift. Because we can refuse a gift, right? We can refuse a proposal, right? So, and the thing about like the hookup culture is women are always going to feel used. Men are not going to feel used by the hookup culture. They might not feel good about it, but they're not going to feel used because men initiate the gift of love and life. Why? Because that's how their bodies are made. So men are the, the doers in that sense. And women receive the gift of love and life. And it's meant to be within marriage. So to be done to is not a bad thing. It's not an inferior thing. It's meant to be in a loving relationship of marriage. And it doesn't mean that the man is active and the woman is passive. The man gives in a receiving way and the woman receives in a giving way because it's an exchange of love. It's not like the man is doing all the loving and the woman's just doing all the receiving, right? It's an exchange of love. And yet, because our bodies are different, our experience of love and sex will always be very, very different. And that's why women are, whenever sex is abused, women are the first victims. Women will always feel it worse. STIs, STDs affect women more because it's deep inside our bodies, affecting other organs, et cetera, affecting fertility, et cetera. And women feeling used too by by the hookup culture. So theology of the body is just like this foolproof, fail-proof thing that I have examined from every angle. And I still keep my feminist radar intact because I want to make sure that things are good for women. (laughs) You know, yeah. I, I pass things through my feminist radar and feminism is not a dirty word. So feminism in its most fundamental thing is the protection and promotion of women. And we will always need some form of protection and promotion of women. So now what you believe a woman is and what you believe protection and promotion consists of is going to change your feminism, right? Because there's all these different types of feminism. Radical feminism instead, which I used to be, denies any significant differences between men and women body or soul. They will acknowledge only that there are a few reproductive body parts that are different, but they also don't really mean anything. And so radical feminism laid the groundwork for gender ideology. Gender doesn't matter. Gender is whatever you want it to be. You you supersede your body. You get away from your body. You get out of your body and you impose on it. You make it do what you want it to do. You do violence to your body. Right? So I am no longer a radical feminist. I am a theology of the body feminist, but I don't even need labels anymore. Like I'm a woman and you better treat me like one. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Okay. So Sister Helena, I have a question for you. So say that we have someone here who's listening, who's not familiar with TOB, who hasn't read the books or hasn't read it, hasn't taken a class with the TOB Institute. Where would you advise them to start looking in that direction? Like how, what's the best way to kind of get going in it? Great question. I actually have a blog post. My blog is hellburns.com, just like my name, hellburns, H-E-L-L, burns.com. And I have a blog post. You could probably Google it. It'd be an easier way to find it. Top T-O-B books. And so I've just put the books themselves there, book covers, like of introductory stuff. If you're looking for stuff on the feminine genius, it's there. If you're looking for stuff on the masculine genius, it's there. Because people are always like, well, what's the best introduction? It's like, well, it depends. What kind of books do you like to read? You know, um, of course, there's the big, heavy-duty theology textbook, which I don't recommend for starters, although I like to read original sources. But Christopher West has a big book called Theology of the Body Explained. That's one where he goes through the entire text as a paraphrase and then like stories and sidebars. There's simpler books like the smallest book you can find is called Theology of the Body Made Simple. And it just takes Genesis, like the groundwork from Genesis. Anything by Christopher West is going to be fantastic. So he has another book called Fill These Hearts, God, Sex, and the, the Universal Longing, Speaking to Our Desires. So I think Theology of Body also helped me see that sex is something so beautiful and pure and holy that comes from God. And there's nothing to be ashamed of about it, you know. If somebody's going to twist it and try to make it something dirty and nasty and naughty and perverse, like, well, that's on you, like, because that's not what sex is. <laughs> you know right, what I mean? right, like, yeah. So if you just Google that, you'll find my top picks. I mean, my absolute top picks of theology of the body. It's on my blog, Hell Burns, and then it's a top 
TOB books. And then we will also include those links into the show notes. So if you're listening and you're wanting to figure out where to find all of that, don't worry. It'll be in the show notes, either in, if depending on how you're listening to this podcast, if you're listening on your phone or through iTunes, it'll be right iTunes, it'll be right there. And then it's also on my website. So I post all my podcasts on my website too, just in case you're listening, maybe on your phone from iTunes or Google Play, but uh, you can go to leadero.com and this episode will pop up and then it'll have all of the links that Sister has been explaining and talking about that you can go and seek out for some more information on Theology of the Body. Before we wrap up, Sister, can you give our listeners a challenge? Oh, right. So you mostly have female listeners. Is that right? Mostly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mostly. So if you're like I was and you don't like being a woman and you don't know what it means to be a woman and you kind of, you don't like your body and you're rejecting your body. And I don't just mean cosmetically, like you want to lose a few pounds. I don't mean that. Or you don't like your nose. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you are in a state of kind of rejecting who you are as a woman. You don't like being a woman. You want to be uh, gender neutral and there's no such thing. You want to be a man or whatever. No, no, no. So I challenge you to accept your womanhood. Don't let the culture win. This crazy culture that hates women. Don't let the culture win. Learn what it means to be a woman. Pray about it. Turn to Our Lady. And you might be you might be struggling with Mary. I struggled with Mary for a long time because I'm like, oh, she's perfect. I can't be like her. She's the Immaculate Conception. She's this freak of nature, virgin and mother. You know, like, no, (laughs) this is, you want to be a powerful woman? You want to be a strong woman? There ain't nobody more powerful in the universe than this woman. And I don't mean supernatural powers. I mean, look at her life. She was poor. She was pregnant as a teenager out of wedlock. She was a refugee. She watched her son be persecuted and killed. And then she herself was persecuted. She had to flee because, you know, she did not have an easy life. She probably had a much harder life than most of us, right? So as a human person, and she's still a human person, even in heaven. But so when you look at Mary, don't say, oh, I could never be like her. No, no, no. You you actually are like her already. So a lot of what is said about Mary is said of all women. The Bible calls her the woman. In Genesis, Jesus himself called her the woman. The book of Revelation calls her the woman. She is going to triumph, right? She promised her immaculate heart is going to triumph and fix this crazy mixed up world, you know? So I challenge you, if you don't, if you don't like yourself as a woman, pray about it. Go to Mary, go to Jesus. He's the bridegroom. He loves you. He loves you just the way you are. He loves women because he made women the way we are. And he loves us just as we are. And really pray about that. Pray about learning to accept your womanhood and being happy being a woman, celebrate being a woman, whatever that means to you. It doesn't look the same on all women. I'm not talking about being frou-frou, right? Some people think I was told I shouldn't use the word femininity. Like, excuse me? Like femininity is just whatever flows from being a woman, body and soul, whatever naturally flows from being a woman, body and soul. And it's going to look different on different women. Same for masculinity. There's not one way to be a woman. We're not talking stereotypes here. We're not talking glass ceiling, putting people in a box. and You can't move outside that box. But there are things that are natural to being a woman. So, and it's going to take time. Be patient with yourself. Stop beating yourself up. We know this is not good. Trying to escape from your body, escape from being a woman is like the worst possible tactic you can take. If you need healing, uh, maybe you were abused. Maybe you were violated as a woman. Get help in that area so that you can like really return to yourself and return to loving who you are, who God made you to be, because he certainly loves you just as you are. Amen. I love it. That was an excellent excellent challenge. Thank you so much, sister, for being with us and sharing your heart and your wisdom on TOB and all that you've learned with us today. Thank you for having me. And I have a book. It's called He Speaks to You. It's a daily book for women. So it's just a quick, easy daily book, something Jesus speaking directly to you, a scripture, something to journal, a little prayer. And we let a whole bunch of nuns from different congregations contribute. So you always get advice from the nuns every day. Oh, I love it. Okay. (laughs) And then once again, we will add that book and a link to it in the show notes. So you will have that available. He speaks to you. We will definitely make sure that people can get their hands on that and get it quickly. But yeah, I, I mean, gosh. I'm sure everybody who's listening is thinking the same thing. I could sit and listen to what you got to say all day. It's just like it, especially for obviously a woman, it's just like, thank you. Yes. 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 Just being affirmed that I am good. 
yeah. I am good. I'm very good. And I think we we do need that, not to bolster egos, but just to, to be reminded of our worth and our dignity in Christ Jesus. Yeah, I think we can really use that today. We need to go overboard almost on celebrating being a woman because so many women do not like being a woman. And it makes me sad because I know I was there. I was there. And I want women to be able to love being a woman. Amen. Amen. All right. I, I love it. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, and Leah. You're welcome. And thank you all to, thank you also, excuse me, to our listeners. I love y'all so much. Thank you so much for also, if you have been one of our listeners who has gone to iTunes and given a review and loved five stars, thank you so much for doing that. And if you haven't done that yet, we would love to hear from you, love to hear the f- feedback that is important for iTunes and podcasts so that the podcasts can move up the ranks. And that just allows it to be more visible. So we want to have more people listening to these great guests. So please do take a few seconds and do that if you don't mind. And remember, whatever you do today, whatever you do, whatever's going on in your life, do something beautiful for God. All right. God bless. God love you. And we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.